0: Hey hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to Soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's Soundgear.com.
1: This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Soundgear, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. My guest today is Michael Mapes. Michael started an online group called Second Chance Bird Dogs. You're about to find out why he's a hunting man on a mission. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always as our producer. Brandon, it's good to be sitting in... the. Podcast room with you again. Here, I want to play something for you.
0: What? What's that?
1: <laughs> no. What? 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 <laughs> that was my cell phone from this morning. Oh. I snuck in in the dark, and I got. A little close. <laughs> there were <laughs> yeah. a lot of birds, and they wow. were they were roosting right above me, and they pitched down. And I mean, it's like, oh gosh, like just chills. It sends chills up your spine when you're sitting there. It's quiet. It's dark, and you just let the world wake up in the woods. And um,
0: I had no idea, by the way, that was going to be actual recorded audio from your phone. Like I thought you were just playing me a sound clip.
1: No, that was my fault. That was was awesome. Yeah. So so then, so then these birds pitch down, and you know I'm I'm not where I wanted to be exactly. I I'm sitting up against this tree, and I put out a hen decoy, and there were twelve birds that came out: seven toms and jakes, (laughs) and five hens. And I had this hen. She came right up to me, and she's you know, away, maybe a little bit further, something like you know, 10 feet, something like that. And she's walking around the decoy and there's three toms just full strut, just gobbling their heads off at her to get over it. Because in the wild world, a hen is supposed to go to the tom. Sure. You know, so I'm trying to get the birds to come to me, but in the the real world, it's supposed to go the other way. So then more, you know, and and she's calling and I'm calling and then more hens come. And like I said, 12 of them were at one point in front of me. Then these 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 Tom's and Jakes from different parts of the woods all united about eighty yards from me, and they just big old brawl, <laughs> big old brawl. I know I don't know if I've seen that many Tom's yeah. and Jakes just wow. going at it, and they spur each other. And I mean that's something else. It is cool to see. The hens were like, "Gosh, these guys they just can't get enough of themselves." They kind of disperse. Everything got all flustered and they went the wrong direction. The hens went one way, the toms followed, and I was left with nothing, <laughs> nothing. And I'm like, this is not how this is going to go. I've only got basically one day to hunt this season, um, just the way that, you know, taking other people. But I had a license and I'm like, I told my wife last night, I'm going to go get a turkey. Every, t- every time when I tell her I'm going to go get a turkey, I'm like, I, I, I kind of want to make sure that you I You have do it. Cause to. Because she thinks like, wow, my guy, you know, he he says he's going to do something and he doesn't. <laughs> he's putting his
0: mind <laughs> He yeah. puts
1: his, yeah, so then I I'm like, alright, I know where the, I know where you're going to go. So I go in the woods and I sneak around and I'm like, I'm going to cut you off. I know where they're going to go. <laughs> so I'm on my way and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, busted. Two Toms staring at me and they went the other way and I was like, dang it. And I'm like, but uh, there's there's at least five more. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, eh, they go whatever. I'm I I sneak around. Beep, 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 beep. You know, they light up in the middle of the woods. I'm like, here it comes. Yes. <laughs> so I ended up calling two two of them. They came running right in, and I carry this thing. It's a fan. It sometimes you know people will use a decoy. It's sitting in front, but I actually just have an old oh like a hand of. fan it's kind of like a hand fan but it's off of one of the turkeys that i shot a couple oh, of years okay. ago and i carry that with and if you stick that up in front of you them those those uh birds will see it and they're like uh-uh nope and they will run you over so i had two birds come in boom bullet trigger sent my wife a picture i said bird down she goes he says he's going to go get a bird and he gets a bird. She's like, "I'm so proud of you, honey." <laughs> so I'm feeling pretty good this morning, buddy. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Now I can move on with the rest of my season. I've got four birds in our family. So my son got his on opening day, my nephew got one, my dad got one, and now I've got one.
0: What do you do? Do you do you save them? Like uh, how do you what do you well, do with that many turkeys? I mean,
1: eat them? I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah food shortage man I'm I'm providing <laughs> for my family I don't know but I I uh variety of things but obviously um my kids just love jerky uh, they made Weston he shot his bird last year and he's and I asked him you know cuz I've talked about it on the show so many times. It's the whole experience, you know, yeah. the eating part of it, too. So I say, well, how do you want to eat it? And last year, he said, I want jerky. So this year, again, same thing. He's like, oh, let's fire up the smoker, Dad. So jerky for that. Um, you know, I've got some more. But, wow. but we had jerky pot pie. Wow. The other night. Jerky pot, pot,
0: pot pie. Turkey pot pie. Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, my wife has a killer pot pie recipe. She does it with pheasants all the time. But she's like, can we do it with turkey? I was like, why not? Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, see why I couldn't. Hammered it.
0: Anyway, is there something you say for like Thanksgiving or do you, I nothing mean, nothing lasts
1: that long in my house. I, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, it I figured not it yet but all it, the kids, yeah, it won't make it till next week. Most likely <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, so I'm a little tired. I got up at 4 a.m. this morning, you know, late season birds. You got to sneak in early, um, a couple days left if you still want to get out there.
0: I mean, I'm four. <laughs> There's
1: six more waiting. <laughs> we recorded plenty of episodes I ahead. I might have time. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm excited about today's show for several reasons. I, I'm looking forward to talking with our guests. But beforehand, Brandon, it's been a while since we've had any of our listeners' stories on the air. There was a while back where we named a segment Retrieving Memories, and it was about special bird dogs, and people would send us their stories. and. I've still got a couple left, and if people want, if anyone's listening right now and you want to send us your story about your dogs, we, uh, we'll, we'll try to get better at sharing them. But I, th- I feel like Arlen Debrecker uh, gave us a good story to lead us into today's podcast, and he titled it, The Best Dog Ever. The Best Dog Ever goes back to Thanksgiving of 1988, Dad got on the phone a few days before and said to bring the shotgun for Thanksgiving, and we'd go pheasant hunting. I thought that was strange because pheasants around Marshall, Minnesota, had all but disappeared. I hadn't hunted in 10 years, almost to the day. And although I had joined pheasants forever, I didn't see myself pheasant hunting in Minnesota or maybe anywhere again. Friday morning, I loaded our guns in the van and we headed east from his farm. The ditches were mostly full of snow and the fields were black. Nothing that I would think would hold any pheasants anywhere on the horizon. I didn't say anything as dad knows the area and the possibility of pheasants as well as any professional guide. After almost two hours of driving back roads and seeing very little habitat, we approached Milroy. I got brave enough to ask what we were up to and dad said that there was a guy in Milroy he wanted to see. It turns out, the guy was the manager of a produce section at a local grocery store, and he had some dogs he wanted to give a good home. They were English setters, the same as my high school hunting dog. Dad said, it's time you had a dog. The dogs were eight or nine weeks old, the last two of the litter. One was chestnut and white. She went to the neighbors, and the other was black and white. They were ours if we promised to give them a good home and reduce his food bill. As is typical, I found out later, with young setters, they both got sick in the van shortly after we left. This cut short our hunt, and we went home to clean things up. He was named Chip because he looked like chocolate chip ice cream, and he was my new buddy. Dad knew it would be the drive to get me back into hunting. Fast forward a few years, and Chip is becoming a decent bird dog. It was Thanksgiving weekend again. Dad, Chip, and I were out to see if we could find a few birds. Dad couldn't walk with us anymore because of heart issues, but he still loved to drive the back roads and knew the likely spots to find birds. I had harvested a few birds with Chip, but Dad didn't get to see because he would be back in the van. This morning, I had a few inches, we had a few inches of fresh snow, and I was surprised to see Dad driving a rather direct route. He never let me drive when we were hunting out of town. We pulled onto a gravel road, and after a couple of miles, Dad stopped at the crest of a hill. At the top of the next hill was a farm place right out of a Jim Mayer painting. Two-story farmhouse, chicken coop, red barn with a hay mow, cattle and pigs in the pens. Between us, a cattle slough and some willow patches. Dad suggested that we ask if we could hunt the slough, so we rolled up and I knocked on the door. The farmer and I talked for a while before he said, Sure, you can hunt as long as you don't sue me if you freeze to death. We drove back to the top of the previous hill so I could take Chip into the wind. Dad stayed in the van at the top of the hill so he could watch while Chip and I went in to bust the cattails. About halfway through, Chip locked up, tail straight out. I walked up alongside him and stopped. His eyeballs turned to look at me, not his head, just his eyes, as if to say, right there, when he looked for it again. I took two more steps and a rooster burst through the snow and headed south with the wind. I turned and dropped him with a load of sixes almost in my tracks. Chip was not a retriever. Only twice in his life did he retrieve a bird for me. He found the bird. He saw that it was dead and that, was, and that I was putting it in my vest. So as far as he was concerned, his job was to find the next bird. As I moved on to follow Chip, I saw pheasant tracks in the snow. Chip bolted off 30 yards to my right and made a big, big half circle. All of my setters, I'm with my fourth now, have learned to do this after a few years in the field. I'm hoping my current one, which is three years old, will learn it too. Chip had pinned the running rooster between us. I could see its tail sticking out of the snow as he headed into a cattail clump. Get him, I said. Chip dove in at the same time the rooster came up. He tried to fly away from me into the wind, but made the fatal mistake of turning west away from the farmhouse. His colors and cackle etched in my memory. It is still there in slow motion as I wait for him to get past the barn and yard before I fire and drop him back into the cattails. His wings fold, but this one is not headshot, and the race is on. The bird had a good head start, but Chip bounded through the snow and cattails like a jackrabbit. In 20 or 30 yards, Chip had him pinned. He sat and looked up at me, waiting for me to trudge through the snow, cattails, and water to get him. I picked him up, and we headed back to Dad, our two-bird limit ending our day. Back at the van, Dad is waiting for us. As I get close, he says, That is about the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Let me see them. We spend a few moments admiring the birds and congratulating Chip. Then, with tears in his eyes, he held out his hand to shake mine. No words, just a handshake, as he looked at me. It seemed to last forever. Well, he said, "I I suppose... we should go get these clean so Mom can make them for supper. Thanks, Dad, for the best bird dog ever. Thank you, Arlen, for sharing that story with us. We say it all the time on this show that it's all about the dogs. And I'm positive that our guests today can relate. Michael Mapes, thank you for taking the time to join us. Do you have uh do you have a story about a first dog that is that is just etched into your mind like Arlen has
2: yes my uh my dog Nitro probably the first real rescue dog I got was he's absolutely magical in the field but I have a memory of him and there's a lot of them but one time it just really sticks out in my head and he's turned out to just be the smartest bird dog I've ever had. And we're hunting in a, in a field, some wild roosters on some pheasants forever property. We got permission to hunt, um, here in central Michigan. And we're working the edge of a ditch line and he's about 50 yards out ahead of me. He gets downwind and locks right up on point. And he's kind of in a weird position. You know, he's running 20 miles an hour, comes to a dead stop, stops. And he's in a weird position. He's looking to his right. I'm walking up beside him and I start walking. I think the distance, I I was probably walking the direction of West. I was walking straight West and he didn't like the direction I was walking and he broke point and he runs over and he gets right in between my legs, like pushes his way right in there. And I kind of spread my legs a little bit like, what are you doing? And he looks straight up at me and then looks straight to the right as if to say, dad, not that way. You got to go this way. So I turn my body, walk to the right. And sure enough, rooster goes up. We shoot it. And he goes and gets it and brings it back to me like, yeah, you got it. Good job.
1: (laughs) Oh, if it wasn't for a good dog, there'd be way more pheasants in this world. (laughs) There would be, too, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Michael, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Um, I know you got a lot going on. You're a, a dad with a, a couple of young kids and seven dogs. Is that right? We have seven here right now. Uh, two are being
2: adopted this week, and we've got a new one coming this week. So, yeah, it's, it's busy around here.
1: Well, um, you mentioned it that you're in Michigan. What part of Michigan do you live in?
2: So uh, it's going to be Central Michigan, uh, Montcalm County, um, out in the middle of Amish country, basically. (laughs) All
1: my neighbors are Amish. Gotcha. Um, Well, you have an online group that I found because you sent me a message uh, with information about one of your dogs. And I did a little snooping around and I thought... There's something going on here. I want to I want to interview Michael <laughs> and find out what in the world you're doing. So the online group is called Second Chance Bird Dogs. What is Second Chance Bird Dogs? So,
2: you know, this started. I've been doing this for probably 3 or 4 years where I'll find dogs that people need to rehome or dogs that need rescued and I'll get that and they're bird dogs and normally Most of the time they were German short haired pointers and I will get that dog. And, you know, I have two of my own dogs, nitro and timber, and they're both rescues. That's kind of what gave me the bug to want to do it. And, uh, I'll get these dogs and take them out hunting Get them trained on bird dogs, have them for three or four months, make sure they know what they're doing, that they're well trained. And then I know several people around the area looking for bird dogs. And I'll call them up and say, Hey, you know that dog you, you saw me with, you know, a month ago? Yeah, he needs a new home. And just started rehoming these dogs, you know, one at a time, nothing major. And I got a dog named Hunter in December of last year and started training him. And I got him from a really good family. I mean, the family loved the dog, absolutely loved him. And they called me up because they had heard that I had two other rescues that I hunted with. And they said, hey, you know, we heard about, you know, you you taking rescues and you train them. And they said, we have a dog we think would be good for your, uh, that would be good for you to do this with, you know. So I called them up, talked to them. Went over and met them, met Hunter. He's a small little German short hair, probably 50 pounds, so wet. And he had just this look on his face that they all have, all the hyper ones that just want to go. They just want to go pheasant hunt, you know. And I picked him up, brought him home, and I think the next week I had him out in the field. He already had his basic train down, sit, stay. He'd stay in the cattle until I told him to come out, sit on the tailgate until I told him to get down. And he was just ready to go hunting. So I took him out in the field, put some bird launchers out, got him on birds, and he starts pointing. He starts following birds. Sooner or later, I end up shooting a gun over him. I had him for about a month, and I knew a buddy of mine that was looking for a bird dog. So again, I called him up. His name was Ron. We went out hunting, and Ron the whole time is looking at this dog, Hunter, and He's looking at this. I mean, Hunter had like the most dramatic points you've ever seen out of a German shorthair. I mean, just beautiful points. But Ron keeps looking at me and says, Mike, you need to make this something. Like this needs to be something that you do. And I said, well, I'm already doing it. He said, no, I think you need to go bigger. And after that hunt that day and he adopted Hunter, I woke up the next day and I don't know why, but it just came to my mind, second chance bird dogs. So I started the Facebook group that day, and pretty much the rest is history. It's been nonstop ever since.
1: It's incredible. I mean, it's 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 always fun. I get excited to hear people's stories and why they do what they do. But let's go back a little ways. Why did you go with a rescue dog for you for Nitro, your first dog, instead of you know re, you know we've talked with several trainers lately, and we've really dug into puppies and breeds and genetics and all that kind of stuff what made you want to say hey I'm gonna I'm gonna get a rescue dog and see what I can do here
2: yeah I mean growing up we always had German shorthairs growing up and we always got them as puppies and me and my dad would always train them and I love the puppies I love getting a dog that's fresh brand new you can train him train them and mold them exactly how you want them but after going to college, uh, getting a degree, starting a tool and die shop, and life was busy for a while. Me and my wife finally got our our uh, dream house out in the country. and I told her the first thing I want to do is get a bird dog. And you know, just moving to the country and finances and stuff, and she's like, "I really don't think we can swing a puppy right now. Puppies are fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars for a good puppy. I don't think I can swing that." I said, "Yeah, well, I'm just going to look for something, see if I can find." either a starter dog or a rescue. And that's basically why I did it. And I was scrolling on Facebook one day and someone had nitro on there. He didn't get along with his other siblings. They had two other German short hairs. He didn't get along with them. And I thought, you know, I can give this dog a good home. He was two years old at the time. I can give him a good home and I can train him to bird hunt. And after seeing him and the progress he made and how fast he made it, I realized you don't need to get them as puppies. There's enough German Shorthairs out there that need rehomed. I can just keep doing this, you know. If I, when I went for my second dog, I went and then looked for another rescue, and that's when I found Timber, and it kind of solidified the idea of, you know, there's so many puppies out there, but there's also so many rescue out there, full of these dogs, bird dogs all over the country that need homes? What if we take these dogs, teach them to hunt, put them in homes where they're going to be hunted and used for what they're made, they're what they're bred for, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> you mentioned you had German Shorthairs growing up. What what differences have you seen now that you've been taking in? You know, more than just those two, obviously. Um, what differences have you seen in? working with them, you, you train them yourself. So, uh, is it more challenging to, to take that dog? Or do you look at that as a challenge that you get to overcome that you enjoy?
2: Yeah, it's, I love, I love training them. I love seeing that what I call light switch moment. It's that moment where every bird dog puts everything you pounded into their head and puts it all together in that moment. And they point their first bird, they're steady. You shoot that bird, they retrieve it. It's the best feeling that I can imagine ever. I mean, I love that feeling. But there is a difference in dogs. You know, you talk about breeders and prices and, you know, you, there's dogs that I get that I call tailgate dogs that right off the tailgate of the truck, they're pointing their first bird. And then there's other dogs that take a month to even get them to get that natural instinct out to point. And there is a difference between your backyard breeding GSPs and your breeders that, you know, they have the health testing, they have this, they have that, and they're top of the line gun dogs. I've seen that. You know, I've had, I think, 13 different German Shorthairs through the program already this year, and every single one of them is different. None of them are the same. And they're all great dogs, but they all take they all take different things,
1: 13 different dogs that, uh, have come through your place already this year. That to me feels like, I mean, I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that there's that many hunting dogs that aren't fit for their home. Why is that?
2: And that's just the German shorthairs. I've had 18 dogs total through the program. I've had wire hairs. And right now, of course I have an English pointer. Um, It doesn't surprise me now that I've been doing this so long, but you have basically, I've noticed you have two different dynamics. I have the dogs I get that are nine months to 14 months old that are from people that get them as puppies. Um, For example, last week a family drove from Nebraska and delivered two GSPs to me. They got one when he was, a puppy at 16 weeks old they brought him home when he was three months old they thought oh my gosh he's so cute we need to get him a friend he needs someone to play with so they went out and got another puppy from the same breeder so now they have two of them well you fast forward to when one's 13 months old and one's you know three months younger than that ten months old and they're terrorizing their house they're ripping siding off the walls <laughs> and you know when I asked them questions I say, well, how much exercise do they get every day? Well, we live in town, so we only have a small backyard. And I'm thinking, okay, well, do you take them for walks? Well, no, we don't really have the time to do that. Okay, well, that's why they're ripping the siding off the house, and that's why they're digging holes. And it's amazing to me, these people that get bird dogs thinking that they're just going to sit on the couch all day and watch Netflix with them, and that's all they need to do with them when they don't realize these dogs need more than that. They're driven dogs, they have energy, and they have to expel the energy somehow. And if you're not going to help them, they're going to find a way to do it by themselves.
1: Do you think these are hunters that are getting these dogs that aren't want, willing to put in the, the time or give them, you know, take them for runs and walks? Or are these non-hunters getting these dogs because they just think they're cute?
2: Exactly. I have not got one dog from a hunter yet. Huh. All the dogs I've gotten are from people that do not bird hunt.
1: So they just see a cute puppy and say, yeah, let's get one of these. But they don't understand the makeup of this creature that they're bringing into their house.
2: Exactly. Yes. The only dog that I've gotten from a hunter is the Hugh pointer I got last week from a gentleman at my hunting club who bought the dog to hunt with. And now has he has some extreme health issues and could no longer care for the dog, so he contacted me. But most of the dogs I get, yes, I mean I've got a dog from Tennessee. Um, the people lived in an apartment building on the eighth floor of an apartment building, and thought that the dog was cute and he was going to be their forever puppy. And he was only ten months old when I got him. His name is Phoenix, and he was counter surfing and they would leave he tore up the mattress tore their brand new couch up he was a terrorizer for them you know
1: but he's probably just a wonderful hunter
2: oh you have no idea i mean he is a tailgate dog right off the tailgate i remember his first day hunting i took him out and he was with me for about a week doing basic training week number 2 get him out in the field and i didn't even put any birds out i knew that we had had some tower hunts and some european hunts so i figured there's probably birds wandering around and i get him out of the truck and we walk 75 yards to the west and a little patch of willows he locks right up on point and he doesn't see the bird he's smelling the bird he's locking up on scent so he's scent pointing a bird already off tailgate a truck at 10 months old after never seeing a bird before in his life
1: walton's what can I say they are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat from wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Walton's.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I want wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. So when you bring, a, bring these dogs home, um, where do you, how do you begin the process? I mean, what do, you, what do you want to achieve or see these dogs do before you're willing to let them go to a new home?
2: So that process has changed dramatically from when I first started, when I first started, you know, I'm taking in one dog at a time. I'm spending a month, a month and a half with this dog, two months with this dog until I know he's a started dog. Now I've got my two dogs that I keep for myself. And then I've got four other rescues right now. And, you know, I can't keep the dog as long as I'd like to. So my goal is 30 days. And when in 30 days, what I like to achieve is, you know, the first week is basic training. See if I can get sit, stay, lay everything to set them up so they're successful in somebody's house. Cause most of the people that get these dogs are going to have them as inside dogs and pets. They're going to be their hunting partner, their pet, their forever friends. So I want to make sure that they're going to be good in the house, that they're going to mind. Well, they're going to go in a kennel. They're not going to come out of the kennel until they say, okay, all the basic stuff that you want the hunting dog to do. And then week two, I usually get them on birds. I have pigeons at the house. I have pheasants that I raise every year plus we have the pheasant preserve that i go to that's 10 miles away so that just makes everything easier um and then week two is get the dogs on birds put bird launchers out watch them chase birds see if they point birds week three is usually a little more intense as far as getting them hunting and getting them a good solid foundation in the field stay close work back and forth locking up on birds following birds week three, I usually try to shoot over top of them. And then we work on retrieving. If I can get a dog at least started to where someone can take that dog and be successful at that point, that's what I try to achieve.
1: Do you know anybody else that has done this? Are you just learning as you go? I mean, there's this, this seems to me like a lot of time that you've invested into this, you know, and, um, it, I'm sure it can't be easy. I mean, it's gotta be also challenging for your wife right
2: yeah the wife is uh <laughs> that's another story she <laughs> deals with it yeah she deals with it and she puts up with it but we were sitting in the front yard the other day and i had all the dogs out kind of in the chain game i had four dogs in the yard and letting them bark it out and get it out of their system before we went for a run and she looks at me laying in the chair and she goes yep real peaceful out here babe <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is our dream home. Yep. Look what you've done to it.
2: <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. So but no, she supports me. She supports me great and, you know, I love her for that.
1: Why do you keep doing
2: it? I guess the love for the dog. Like I told you that that light switch moment is that's what it's all about for me. I'll give you the perfect example. I have a dog. I still have him out there cuz his family one of my best friends is, is, uh, adopting him and his name is trooper. He was dropped off here as a four-year-old wire haired pointer from a family that absolutely loved him. I mean, he was the most spoiled dog in the world. They dropped him off and they get out of their vehicles and the dad, you know, a 50 year old man standing in my yard, crying, the mom's crying, the kids are crying, but trooper had started biting the mailman. And from the mailman, he started biting the FedEx guy. And the FedEx guy turned into the UPS guy. UPS guy turned into anybody that came to their house. So Trooper, for whatever reason, was showing aggression, and they didn't know why. I tried working with him for about a month, because the last thing I want to do is take somebody's dog away. Like, that's not not my goal, is to take people's dogs. So I tried working with these people, and, well, can you try this? Can you try this? Try this, and if nothing works, all else fails, okay, trooper needs a lifestyle change. So trooper came to me and he was gun shy. They told me he was gun shy. They had taken him to a trainer. That trainer told him he was gun shy. And sure enough, I mean, I got a gun out probably two or three days in, just brought a gun out to the kennel system just to say, hey, you know, put it up against the wall and see what he did. And I saw him look at it and he looked at it weird. And I thought, yep, he doesn't like that, you know. But I had to make a really long story short. I had trooper for a total of three weeks. And every time I'd go out hunting, training other dogs, I'd put him in his kennel in the back of the truck underneath the topper. So he could just listen to gunshots at a distance and just see if I could get him at least comfortable with that. And then we could work with it from there. And then every time after we're done hunting, I would take him out without any guns and just let him chase birds. He would point birds. He would chase birds in the air. And I was fine letting him do that for three weeks and three weeks in I'm out training Phoenix, that dog I told you about. I'm on my way back to the truck, and I see the topper, the back door of the topper, just opening and closing, and I hear Trooper barking. And I'm like, oh, great. He just tore through his kennel. Now I'm going to have a mess on my hands, you know. So I get to the truck. I open the topper up, and he jumps out, knocks over my one box I had a rooster pheasant in. The rooster goes flying, and he takes off after it. He doesn't have his e-collar on. And he's running a hundred mile an hour. He gets about a hundred yards away. And I think, okay, the only way I'm going to get him back is if I shoot this gun off, he's going to come running back to me because he's scared. So I pull the trigger and nothing. He doesn't flinch. He doesn't move, doesn't look back at me. I pull the trigger again. And again, he does not flinch. About five minutes goes by. He finally gets it out of the system and he runs back to me. And he's just got this look on his face. And I just, he looked like a different dog. And I know it sounds weird, but there was just something different about him. I loaded my gun back up. I put Phoenix in the truck and I said, trooper, let's go. And we headed south down the field where I knew a pheasant had went down and he walked over there. He gets about 10 yards downwind of this pheasant locks up like he has every other time. And trooper, I was letting him flush birds because I found with gun shy dogs, you know, everybody's got a different method of doing it, but I let him flush the birds cause it gets him more excited. So I tap on his butt. I say, go bird flushes. He gets about 30 yards away and I look at him and he's looking at the bird and I pull the trigger. He doesn't flinch, doesn't move, runs right over to that bird, picks it up, brings it back to me, drops it at my feet and goes off to find another bird. And I'm standing there in amazement, screaming, yelling jumping up and down, making a fool of myself <laughs> in the middle of this field, trying to get him back to me. Cause I'm like, dude, do you realize what you just did? You know, he finally comes back to me and I'm hugging him. I'm grabbing him, but that, that's what it's about for me. And I don't, it that's all it is. You know, I don't have a better answer for you other than I love that moment right there when every dog puts it together and becomes that bird dog.
1: Wow. That's an amazing story. So then, do you call the owners back up and say, you know, I I don't know if I fixed your dog, but I might have fixed your dog? <laughs>
2: The owners had been in contact with me the whole time. Most of the owners do stay in contact with me other than there's a select few dogs that have just kind of been dumped on me for whatever reasons. But these owners had stayed in contact with me and it's actually on, on the Facebook page. You got to scroll down quite a ways, but they actually went back out and went hunting with trooper and troopers, new owner. So they didn't want to bring trooper back because they didn't want to get back into that same. They didn't want the same problems again. And trooper doesn't he still to this day doesn't like mailmen. i mean i have the fedex guy show up at the house and he doesn't like him i can tell that so he can't be somewhere where he's gonna be in those situations where we're gonna have the same problems but what, what, what the is it about, about
1: what uh, is it about mailmen and fedex guys i don't understand it i don't know why dogs i don't know
0: I think it's because they can expect them on a daily basis. They never get to see them. They only get to hear them. I don't yeah. know. It's my dog always used to freak out when it heard the same thing too. So really,
1: yeah. Is it just like the,
0: the yeah. knock? The, and... the knock, especially for my dog, at least it was.
1: Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um yeah. So my driveway is a mile long, so they can see him coming. Like, oh, here he comes. Yeah. Well, think- the, the okay. So. So how do people find you then on the, those that want to give you their dogs and those that are looking for dogs? Are you, I mean, do, do you have a, a a system that you've built now? I know you haven't been doing this for for too long, but it sounds like you're moving dogs in and out.
2: So for the most part. I just had somebody message me today. It's a day. It's almost a daily occurrence where someone will message me. But just this morning, someone messaged me from Indiana off Facebook and my name's gotten out there. Second chance bird dogs has gotten out there enough where enough people have heard about it. And she messaged me. And the first thing she said was, Hey, you come highly recommended. Um, I have a German Shorthair hair, English pointer mixed dog that I want to talk to you about. So I send them my phone number and right before I joined your podcast, I was talking to her about the dog and, you know, I talk to him about the dog, find out the issues, the issues they're having, what they want to see going forward. And, you know, first of all, I try to see if I can help them with the dog. I don't, like I said, I don't want to take their dog away, but if worse comes to worst, worst case scenario, you need that dog to go somewhere. Yes, I'm here. I'm available. I have homes for the dogs. Um, you know, we'll line up when we're going to meet, when we can, when I can meet the dog, go over the logistics of it, you know, what you can expect from your dog when he's with me, where he's going to live. And I try to keep the previous owners involved in everything. And I think that's another thing that people love is, you know, I'm not getting your dog and then see you later by, you're never going to see him again. No, I'll send you pictures. I'll send you videos. You want to see your dog hunting? I'll send you videos of your dog hunting so you know that he's doing what he loves to do. Um, And then I have a list of guys looking for bird dogs. And I've been lucky enough to keep every dog every home that stayed pretty much within an hour of my house. Um, I have enough people around here looking for bird dogs that want bird dogs or another bird dog that I've been able to keep it local and someday, and I'm I'm guessing someday soon I'm going to have to branch out beyond that. And you know, we're gonna to have to get an application process started and more of a higher in depth vetting process before dogs go outside of where I can reach them type yeah, thing, you know. It, it,
1: is there any formal paperwork that you need to do to do this? Are there any laws? I mean, this is all just goodwill.
2: This is, this is all pretty much goodwill. Um, you know, I have a kennel license, um, to have a dog kennel. I can have up to 10 dogs. Um, you know, I have all that. I make people when they take a dog from me, they sign a contract saying that, you know, you're getting this dog. If it doesn't work out, you have to return the dog. Um, but like I said, I've been fortunate enough up until this point Every dog I've rehomed has went to people that I personally know or have gotten to personally know that are local. And that's been a blessing for me so far.
1: What's your goal with this? What do you hope to see happen? I mean, do you want to keep it kind of the size it is, or you, do you want it to expand?
2: Oh, it could be huge if you wanted it to be.
1: Um, I, I mean, I, I, we had last... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Last week we had Whitney Miller on. She runs a kennel in Wisconsin breed, breeding uh, uh, labs. And it sounds like, you know, there's a wait of about two years, roughly, a wait list of people for their puppies. And they, they've got, you know, a lot of dogs going in and out of that kennel and, and a lot of litters every year. So the demand is still high, um, I have to believe finding homes for these dogs is probably was it easier than you would expect, or is it more difficult
2: uh it can be easy, but I don't want it to be easy that's the thing that's the whole purpose behind second chance bird dogs is i it's kind of a double edged sword because i I want to keep this going, but if second chance bird dogs is successful, that means that dogs aren't in the right homes. And that's not a good thing. Um, is it easy for me to find homes for the dogs? Yes. I can find a home every day for a dog, but I don't let everybody get a dog. I probably have 20 people message me for every dog I get. And only one of those people will fit the bill and I'll say, okay, yeah, this is a good fit for this dog. Um, I had an older gentleman call me last week about a dog I have right now. And, I straight up told him, I said, listen, I said, this dog is a 14-month-old German shorthair. He's hyper. He's very high-strung. And I said, I don't think he's a good fit for you. And he said, well, I have a fence, a six-foot fence. We live in town, but he'll get plenty of exercise. I told him, this dog jumps a six-foot fence. This dog has a roof and a floor on his kennel because he'll dig out of it and he'll climb over it. And he goes, Oh, he will. (laughs) I said, yes, he does. So it's situations like that. I turn people down every day. Um, and try to find a good fit for these dogs so that we're not constantly moving these dogs from home to home to home.
1: Um, what breeds do you take in mainly
2: German short hair pointers, but any bird dog I've got, I've had three labs come through here, three Labrador retrievers. Um, before, but German Shorthair Pointers and Wirehairs are the main breeds I get. Um, Ace is my first English Pointer I've had.
1: Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kombucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional, healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now, they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Aluma Trailers, They've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need. From ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. And they are 100% maintenance free. Plus, they come with an industry best 5 year warranty. Visit AlumaKLN.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. I I can't imagine this is, uh, I I think financially, this has to take a little bit of a toll, right? I mean, you've got to feed the dogs. You've got to make sure your kennel is suitable for them. What is it? Can I ask, you know, what does it cost to be able to operate something like this? And do you offset that then when you send people, you send a puppy or a dog home? Do they have to pay for that to help offset your costs?
2: Right. So when I first started this, you know, I had the two kennels for my dogs and I have a 32 by 48 pole barn and it's heated in the winter and I had both of my dogs kennels out there five by five kennel with a 10 by 15 outside run they were comfortable like i said it's heated they have room to run then they get exercise every day as i've grown second chance bird dogs i now have seven kennels out there with seven 10 by 15 runs um yeah it's not cheap i've gotten fortunate with facebook marketplace um I have a good friend that runs a professional dog kennel where she houses dogs for people when they're on vacation. I've gotten a lot of kennels from her. Um and dog food. Yeah, it's not cheap, so what I try to do is y'all you know, get a dog and everything that I have into that dog price it out as far as training kennels so on and so forth and when they rehome the dog i try to at least break even with that i haven't made any money yet and that's not my goal my goal isn't to make money um but i'm doing okay in surviving the way we are um with what we're doing is it sustainable then oh yeah yeah it is i mean it's i have to give a little you know it's it it does cost money and it does cost me in the end but it's sustainable. It's doable. Um, I could make it a five Oh one C if I wanted to. And we're thinking about that. Not sure. I want to go that route as far as taking donations and stuff like that. But you know, I make t-shirts, I sell t-shirts on the Facebook site. I'll make hats that say second chance bird dogs, sell them whenever I'm in a pinch or I'm like, you know what, we kind of need to offset some cost here, sell some t-shirts, sell some hats. Um, do things like that to uh, help offset the
1: cost. Gotcha. Well, I have to imagine if you, if you, um, you know, you have a demand for these dogs and there's a cost associated with what you're doing to, to get them ready for their next home, that the buyers might be willing to help you out a little bit there and say, you know, this would be, uh, you know, bump up your your price on sending them away. I am mean, am I wrong in thinking that?
2: No, you're right. Yeah, I've had several people that you know. I've I had a fully trained dog go away probably a month and a half ago, um, and he was. I mean, he was a good bird dog. I would have kept him for myself. He could hunt with anybody anywhere. He was point and retrieving a very good dog, and when I told the guy, I said, well, $600 breaks me even that pays for food, kennels. I had this dog for about a month and a half. And he just kind of laughed at me. He says, you need more than 600. And I said, no, I've done the math. That's, that'll break me even with him. And he says, well, you don't need it, but you're getting more than 600, Mm -hmm. you know? And he gave me a little on top of that, you know, as far as the donation goes, because he knew he'd had bird dogs before and he's looking at the dog and he hunted with the dog with me that day. And he said, this dog's worth a heck of a lot more than $600, Mike. And I said, yeah, I
1: know. Wow. wow. Um, so do you have any, uh, any last thoughts or anything you want our listeners to know about what you're doing there? Uh, if they have dogs, they know of dogs that need a new home. Should they reach out to you? Do you have any dogs right now that are looking to go? I think you said ACE is still looking or do you have somebody for ACE and do you have other dogs that are ready to go to a new home right now?
2: So I have one dog right now, Louie. He's a wire hair. He is, I have several people interested. I don't know if I really have a solid home for him yet. Daxter, he has a home. Trooper, he has a home. Ace, the, the English pointer, my son keeps calling him his dog. And my son keeps going out to the kennel every day and he'll feed him. He'll water him. He gives him treats. So I don't know if Ace is really going to make it out of second chance bird dogs. <laughs> he might have to stay.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's Outstanding. Well, Mike, I, I respect everything you're doing. I'm sure that anybody listening to this could say, you know, tip the cap to you for, for all that you've put in to keep, um, Keep these dogs from going into you know a bad situation, and all the time that you're investing into them. Brandon, you have any any desire to pick up a bird dog?
0: I mean, if I do, um, I think you'd be the first person I'd go to because I like I, we've mentioned before in the past. I've only yeah. had shelter dogs, adopted dogs, so. Maybe if I get into this hunting thing, if you guys can actually get me out to shoot a bird.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to go with Scott next We won't go with Scott next time, I promise.
0: No, but I think it's really cool what you guys are doing, Michael. I think it's super awesome. I'd like to see more of it. And it's just a really nice way to give these dogs a second life and a real life meant to doing what they're meant to do. So that's yeah. really, cool. Happy you're doing it.
2: Yeah, it's it's very, very it's very rewarding. I'll tell you that. I mean, watching these dogs come from you know dogs that were just I don't want to say lost dogs but you know by looking at them that they have more to give and they just they're they don't know what they're meant to do and taking them out hunting and showing them that showing them hey this is what you're bred for and them and them enjoying it as much as you and then getting other people involved in it too you know at my Haymarsh Hunt Club here in Morley Michigan Uh, everybody, everybody there pretty much knows what I do. And every time I show up, they're walking out to my truck to look in the back of the truck and Hey, what new dog you got today? You know, it's, I love getting people involved in it and seeing people get involved in it. And it's, it's fun getting people out hunting. I've, I've met a lot of new people and had a lot of new people pick up upland hunting through second chance bird dogs. And it's been a good thing all around for a lot of people and people enjoy it. I enjoy it. And it's, it's just fun.
1: Awesome. Well, there it is. Second chance bird dogs. And we've said it for years on the show and TV show and podcast now, but it's about the dogs. I mean, look at that story that Arlen sent us about not hunting for 10 years. And his dad said, you know what? I'm going to get him a dog. And you know, now Arlen to bring it all back full circle here. Arlen said in his story that he's on, I think his fourth setter now, since his dad got him that dog. And, um, I know, Mike, that you're, you're putting dogs into homes of people that care about them and that are going to take them out hunting. And you're creating those kind of stories, too. So I tip my cat to you, sir. Well done. Job well done. Second chance bird dogs. Check them out on Facebook. Are you anywhere else besides Facebook, Mike?
2: We've got an Instagram and a TikTok Instagram. for all the uh, younger people. There we go.
1: We will yep. include a link in this uh in this episode and we will do that on instagram and we will do that on facebook as well hopefully people can find a little bit find out a little bit more about what you're doing and if potentially they have a dog that they think might might be well suited for you or are interested in taking one off your hands I encourage them to go and contact you um once again thanks Mike appreciate it Brandon um I've been talking with a couple of conservation officers now for like, it feels like three months. And they're so difficult sometimes to really nail down because they're like, well, my boss says I can't talk about this or that. And I'm like, well, we want the good stuff. Right. You know, I don't want this. I don't want, you know. Hints,
0: generalizations. Yes, yes.
1: exactly. I want real (laughs) stories of people doing stuff they shouldn't do that, you would just shake your head at. And unfortunately, it's out there. And these uh, conservation officers have the story. So as a chance, I get one next week. I'm feeling like I'm close to locking one down. <laughs> He's got permission from the state to come and join us. He's been in the field for like... 30 some years just a few stories just I I know just a few stories he said he's willing to share them so I hope I'm done teasing it speaking of stories if anybody has one for us send it on over um you know it's it's really cool for everybody to hear your stories and this is a community and this is a safe it's a safe space Brandon
0: I thought I was in the safety tree. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are. We
1: (laughs) can share stories. If you've got guest ideas for us, send them on over. Before we know it, we're going to be hunting again, even though my turkey season's done. We'll be chasing birds again in no time. And I can't wait until that day comes. Until then, we'll talk about it, and we'll do it again next week. I'm Travis Frank, reminding you to take the time, if you've got it, to introduce someone new to the field.